Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Roush. And I'm Jeremy Roush. So, are you ready for this week's President's Quiz? Absolutely. Alright. So, I guess this isn't like a totally weird fact, but it was, I thought, maybe an interesting fact. Which U.S. president is the only U.S. president born on July 4th? Any guesses? July 4th for the year? Like, that's his birthday. What's the year? It's July 4th. I'm not telling the year. Mm. There have been multiple presidents that have died on July 4th, but only one that's been born on July 4th. I have no idea. So, you'll just have to listen to the rest of the episode to find out. Because it could be hidden somewhere in and amongst all the other content. (laughs) Or I'm just lazy and I'll forget about it till the end. (laughs) so again welcome this is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into the bizarre stories that made america into the beautiful weirdo she is today so pretty but so bizarre (laughs) so weird so for this week we're going to discuss charles eugene badeau Badeau. He's French. So again, apologies for names. Charles Eugene Badeau was born on October So I, I recognize the name. I don't know why. I don't know if it's relevant or not. Maybe. <laughs> okay, sorry. You let me know. Yeah. Um, so he was born on October 10th, 1886 in Charenton-les-Ponts, France. To Say that again. Charenton Le Pont, France. Mm. To Charles. Is that a real place? You just make that I up. I probably just made it up. I like to just make up French words and sneak them in there. Yeah. So he, his parents were Charles Emile Badeau and Marie Eulalie. There is not much known about Charles's early life. We know that his father was a railroad engineer and his mother was a dressmaker. Charles enrolled in Lice, Louis, Le Grand, it's just a school, (laughs) no, Paris, (laughs) to study engineering, to, you know, we assume to become a railroad engineer like his father, but he dropped out before graduating at the age of 16. Charles then went to Paris and made money by working at several menial jobs. Shortly after moving to Paris, though, Charles met... Henry Ledoux. Ledoux? Ledoux? Oh my gosh, this is going to be a rough one, isn't well, it? Well, <laughs> luckily, luckily he moves to America, because this is America the Bazaar, and it's not all French names. He he makes some friends. Yeah. That have, that have yeah. Less complex last names. Yes. <laughs> um, but Henry Ledoux was a famous pimp in the Pigalle district. Oh. Charles became became Ledo's apprentice, and Ledo taught him how to dress, run a pimp business, and how to street fight. What? But in 1906, Henry Ledo was killed in a gang shooting. Oh, man. So he, apparently he wasn't that good at street fighting. Yeah. After his mentor had died, Charles... Or he brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> yeah, either way, he was not prepared. Right. So after his mentor died, Charles decided to leave Paris and make his way to the United States. Charles arrived 
in America on February 14th, 1906, with almost no money. Hey, he arrived on Valentine's Day. Aww. He took up several different jobs, just like in Paris before, like washing dishes, construction, selling insurance. In 1908, Charles moved to St. Louis to work as a laborer at Mellencrot Chemical Company. It was there that he met Blanche de Cressier Allen. Charles and Blanche... I thought you said they got better. Yeah. Well... The names? After (laughs) after Blanche, maybe. Maybe I'm just wrong and forgot (laughs) about how awful all these names were to say. For you. I can type them out really well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You are the most Midwestern pronunciation. Yeah. Well... (laughs) Yeah, it's it comes from growing up in rural Idaho uh, yeah, and yeah. only knowing people with names from, you know, Norway and yeah, England. Very Scandinavian. Yes. So Charles and Blanche married soon after they met and welcomed his son in 1909. Charles was doing uh, well at the chemical company. He came up with several ideas for the company and was quickly climbing the ladder. In 1912, Charles had made enough money to take his wife and son to Paris and show them where he was from. When Charles and his family made their way back to America, so apparently he just quit because then he comes back to America and works at a different job. Oh, nice. So Charles, when they come back, Charles went to work in New York. Well, I mean, you think about the amount of time it takes to travel. Right. Like, it's not like he jumped on an airplane for a couple weeks to go back to Paris. It was uh, probably a pretty lengthy process to first catch the right train. No, that's true. Because you, you said so I'm that just thinking about it is they leave, they go back to Paris, and they come back, and they don't even come back to St. Louis. Oh, what, I mean, what was tying them down to St. Louis? Her family. That's where she was from. Okay, other than that. I mean, yeah, we didn't I move to Riggins. That's true. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> I, get what, I get what you're saying. So, when they come back to America, Charles went to work in New York for a pharmaceutical company named McKesson Robbins. While working there, Charles met A.M. Morini, an industrial engineer from Italy that was in the United States to study how to make workers more efficient. Morini hired Charles <laughs> as his interpreter and... Slaves. That's slave labor, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, this, so this is the turn of the century where... I guess probably not slaves. That's probably the wrong way to well, put so it. Well, so this is the thing. is This is the turn of the century Poor where working conditions. factories are yeah. very popular. It's the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to basically figure out how to get more work done in less hours with less employees. Yeah. Uh, machinery. Right. And... Working terrible work hours, working your employees to literal death. Yeah, yeah. Those are the two secrets. So this is yeah, (laughs) this is where America is. Really, the world is this time. Secrets out. (laughs) Moraney hired Charles as his interpreter, and together they traveled the country studying worker efficiency methods and management. Hmm. After hiring a group of American engineers. Charles accompanied Morini and the group of engineers to Europe in 1913. While in Europe, Charles joined a French consulting company. While working for them, World War I started and Charles enlisted in the French Foreign Legion. Charles stayed with the French Foreign Legion only for a few months and was discharged in December 1914 because he suffered from bacillary hemoptysis, or he was just coughing up blood. Oh. Which is usually not a good sign. Yeah. 
Indicative of something. Right. Usu- usually TB. Yeah. So there's no evidence that he actually was coughing up blood except for these discharge papers. Like, apparently, he just miraculously got better after he was discharged from the French Foreign Legion. Uh. So, there's also speculation that Marini's consulting business was a cover for a spying mission of the U.S. Uh. during wartime. So, because Italy was a member of the Central Powers Uh. until April of 1915 when they entered the war as part of the Allied Powers. Uh. Yeah. It's all a cover. So Charles was suspected of being an enemy agent while he worked for Marini and was actually being investigated, but charges were never filed. I know they just never got enough evidence to bring charges against him, Uh, but he was being watched. hmm. After being discharged, Charles returned to the United States, and this time his family moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Charles started his own business consulting firm in Grand Rapids and created the Badao system, which was described as standardizing all human efforts according to a single unit of measurement. The so-called B defined as a fraction of a minute of activity plus a fraction of a minute of rest. Workers were expected to achieve a minimum of 60 B per hour and received a bonus for higher B values. In addition, supervisors... So you could essentially get, as long as you worked 30 minutes out of an hour, that was one B. Yeah. Because a fraction of one minute was spent working, and a fraction of one minute was spent resting. Right. So, yeah, basically, I don't know what the exact fractions were. I guess it depended on your job. Like, if it was, you know, Uh, two-thirds work, one-third rest. It depended on what job you were doing. Probably how physically labor So basically, Yeah, so basically his consulting firm was to figure out what that fraction would be. Was for each position. Right, like, basically he's saying, for this, you know, this many minutes you work this many minutes you rest, and yep. that is your maximum output. Gotcha. Is his system. Yeah. So after only a few years, Badeau's consulting company reached worldwide with offices in 19 countries. In late 1916, Charles sent his wife and son to Japan to live until 1917. There's not really a good reason for his, for this unless Charles was using his wife to go to Japan as a courier for certain documents that she handed over to contacts in Japan. Traveling mm. across the Pacific Ocean would mean that the documents could avoid the British that routinely searched ships that were traveling across the Atlantic. Gotcha. So yeah. he could send a wire. So Bas- no, so he basically yeah, he's yeah, giving her well, he basically sent her to Japan with documents that she would give over to somebody in Japan. Just once, though. Yeah. she was. They were only there for a few months. Huh. But Charles became an American citizen in 1917, and when Blanche and his son returned from Japan, he divorced her quickly after that. Hey, thanks, babe, for going to Japan. <laughs> I don't think this is working out. Yeah. Charles was dating Fern Lombard, the daughter of a prominent family in Grand Rapids. According to the Grand Rapids Herald, Charles and Fern were driving from Kalamazoo to Grand Rapids on July 2, 1917, when they got a flat tire. A clergyman stopped to help them out, and so Charles asked the clergyman to if, marry them. if he could also marry them, and so he uh, did, right next, down, right next to their broken-down car. See, that's why I got it ordained. So that you can just marry people wherever and whenever. Yeah, literally, I would do it. So uh, I can see you doing that. Maybe can we add that to the to the merch store? What 
You can hire me to come to a wedding. Yes. <laughs> Next time you guys get on the merch store of our website, there'll be an option for Jeremy to come ordain your wedding. You got stickers, sweaters, joggers, ordainment service, or uh, yeah, wedding services. Wedding services, yeah. yeah. He's, what are you? A Judas priest? Is that what it's called yeah. that you got ordained by? Yep. So, really legit. It is legit. He actually, Just ask he, your sister. Yeah, he actually married my sister. Brother <laughs> it is legit. They're married. Yeah. Recognized by the state of Idaho. I got certificates. <laughs> so, anyways, they get married. Charles continues to grow his consulting company, and the Badeau system became increasingly popular across the world. When the Great Depression hit in 1929, the company's or companies use the system to increase productivity while decreasing their staff, and the system is also responsible for the 40-hour work week that Henry Ford made popular in the United States. Basically, Henry Ford kind of used the system to be like, my worker's max output is reached uh, at 40, 40 hours. hours a week. Huh. Like, they don't do much better. They don't do that much so, more work after 40 hours. So... I guess even though he was an anti-Semite... Now, there's a lot of problems with Henry Ford. At least we aren't working 60 hours a week. Right. I still have an issue with 40, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Charles, along with being a successful businessman, was also an avid traveler. This could be because he used travel as a cover to be a spy, or... Maybe because he was just an eccentric millionaire that liked to spend his money. Yeah. Both are very probable. Yeah. Yeah. And it could have just been both. Yeah. In 1926, Charles took several friends on a trip to British Columbia to hunt and explore. Then in 1929... Can I I tell you, if I'm rich, the last thing I'm going to do is go be... Go conduct spy activities on yeah. a foreign country. Yeah, you don't have like, to. Like, sorry, government. Like, I love America, but... Well, and that's the thing, is, like, <laughs> oh, he's like, not even... You can figure it out. You've got the well, time and, and the, the resources. That's the thing I don't get about him, is he's not even spying for France, the country he was born in, yeah. or America, the country that he has lived in now most of his life, yeah. and has made all of his money in. Right. He's spying for their enemy. Yeah. Like, I don't get this guy. And he doesn't have to because he's a millionaire. Yeah, I don't get it. In the 20s. Yeah, I don't get it. So, anyways, yeah, I don't get him either. Maybe he was brainwashed. Maybe. So, in 1929, Charles left America again, this time for five months in Africa. Charles started Mm. in Kenya and then made his way to Nairobi, Tanzania, Uganda, Tonga, Nigeria... And finally ended in Casablanca, Morocco, which brought the trip to a total of 9,500 miles traveled. Yeah, that's a that's long a, ways to travel. Yeah, it's a pretty... That's I think a they good said loop. Across the, like, the, like, the widest part of Africa yeah. is basically what he traveled. Yep. For his next adventure, Charles began to plan an expedition through the Canadian Rockies that he would lead. Charles had loved British Columbia when he went before, calling it one of the last remaining true wilderness regions on Earth. Charles told the public that the reason for the expedition was to map out a path for an Alaskan-Canadian highway that he was proposing. 
The highway that he had mapped out would be about 1,100 miles, going through land that was mostly uncharted. Badeau told everyone that was going to be accompanying him on this trip that they would need to attend a training camp to make sure they were all physically fit enough to make the journey. So Badeau's friends that were planning on making the trip all met in Jasper, Alberta for a week of training in June of 1934. However, when they arrived, they literally did zero training and instead just had a bunch of banquets and drank a ton of champagne. (laughs) After the week of training, that was just drinking (laughs) champagne... Those were air quotes for those of you at home. Yeah. There was reports that there was kegs of champagne at the training camp. And they're basically, yeah. What is this? What is this? A training camp or a sorority party? Right? (laughs) The group assembled in Edmonton, Alberta to begin the expedition. After posing for a ton of photographs, having a champagne breakfast, more champagne, (laughs) taking part in a parade, and then attending a reception hosted by the Lieutenant Governor of Alberta, They left Edmonton on July 6th, 1934. So by this time, they're not leaving until late afternoon. Yeah. Because they just did all of this stuff (laughs) all day. Mm -hmm. It's a late time to be getting started on your trip into the wild British Columbia. Yeah. So the exploration party consisted of Charles, his wife Fern, an Italian countess named... Oh, and I apologize for this one. I definitely forgot about this name. (laughs) Belanha Chiesa. I see. Yeah. Belona Chiesa? 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 You use your little hands, put your little fingers together. Belona? 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 Belona. I like Belona. That sounds pretty. Belona Chiesa. Ooh, that was pretty. Definitely better than how I said it. I always feel like... She's Italian, Countess? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you also, just gotta ask me how to pronounce it. Yeah, them. I'm just gonna, yeah. Ooh, that like, sounds pretty. Yeah, it does sound pretty. Not my Idaho <laughs> backwoods accent. That's where I'm from. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, that lady, mm-hmm. she is Charles's mistress. Ooh. So, nothing like bringing your wife and your mistress along. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Uh, they also brought Fern's maid, because you gotta have her, <laughs> 53 Alberta cowboys, <laughs> 130 horses, what kind of, okay. a geologist, mm. two geographers, and a large film crew headed by director Floyd Crosby that were in charge of documenting the expedition on film. Wow. Charles was hoping that... Is this, supposed this... To be, is this supposed to be like a modern-day Lewis and Clark-type adventure? Kind of, yeah. They're supposed to be, you know, they're taking the geographer and the geologist to map out this yeah. trail because they're, yeah, they're trying to basically connect the United States from, you know, where, you know, you go into Canada to Alaska mm-hmm. is basically their goal. And nobody's mapped out. Canada. Canada, at least not this part. The French just hung out on the East Coast said, nope, we're not interested yeah. in I it. mean, yeah, it's basically, yeah, <laughs> white, white of, people have never, yeah. you know, yeah, really so gone yeah. in here and mapped it out. So, But yeah, so anyways, that's what they're doing. And he's bringing along this film crew. So, you know, hopefully, because Charles's big thing is that he wants to be famous, too. Yeah. And he's he wants the, money. the publicity. Yeah, he's got the money. He's got the smarts, the money. Yeah. And so he's hoping that Oof. this will be made into a, like a really cool movie and people He's asking will... for too much. Well, and apparently he was kind of a short French guy too. So it's kind of like, 
I want to say little man syndrome a little bit. Like, he wants to be seen as this great explorer. Yeah. That's the thing is, like... But also, doesn't everybody want to leave a legacy? Oh, absolutely. But some people say, you know, he, like, puts off this front about being this great adventurer when mm. he's been able to basically do it. Training not, camp? Yeah, not, yeah. Be, not because it's, he's, like, hard or tough or knows what he's doing, just because he I has just, a lot of money and can pay guides to take him places. I, I just I just like to think that they were shambonging uh, champagne. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> he was the inventor. Of also, the shambong? Of the shambong. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so... A party of six men and 50 horses had already gone ahead of the main expedition to forge a rough trail for the expedition to follow. So they're not even the ones, like, forging the trail. Blazing the trail. Yeah. And the guys and horses that went before, they would drop off supplies for the main expedition, like gasoline and food Uh, and more champagne. Set up camp, cook them dinner. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Take off before they got there, but while it was still hot. Yep, yep. (laughs) Hey, you better not be seen on the camera. (laughs) Yeah. So Charles was... Oh my gosh, look at this wild canvas tent that we just came Yeah, exactly. So Charles was a friend of French car maker Andre Citroën. Is that how you say the car? What? (laughs) Sure, Citroën. Citroën. So... You don't have to pronounce every letter. <laughs> no. So <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like you have this like it's like a FOMO, but the like a maybe it's a fomal fear of a missing a letter. It's a, <laughs> when you enunciate Citrone. Yeah. So Citrone gave Badeau five half track trucks to use on hmm. the expedition. Each truck had a roller on the front. And the real rear wheels could be taken off and replaced by a track. The expedition planned on building rafts for the trucks so they could cross rivers, and the trucks were also outfitted with winches so they could be pulled up steep gorges. As soon as the expedition reached the outskirts of Edmonton, it began to rain and it rarely stopped for the rest of the trip, making it the wettest summer on record at the time. Oh my gosh. So, the Citroen trucks were created for the Sahara Desert and weren't really made to go through mud. Yeah, probably super heavy. Yeah. And the trucks kept getting stuck, and the mud would also clog up the trucks' transmissions. The expedition was making progress at about four miles an hour, so progress was very slow. Especially for being mounted. Yeah. In a half-tracked vehicle. Yeah, exactly. So, from July 17th through the 22nd, the expedition stayed in Fort St. John so that the trucks could be repaired at the village's only garage. This is kind of like their last big stop before they go into the wilderness. (laughs) So, they spend five days there. While they were there, Badeau hired more cowboys and bought more pack horses from a nearby rancher and then bought several more supplies for the trip. After leaving Fort St. John and getting the hey, trucks repaired... at least he's injecting some money into the local he economy. He is. Well, they said, like, the film cameras would, like... He was just, like, handing out money to the townspeople there. Yeah. He was just literally just handing out bills. That's cool. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it was kind of, you know, just another publicity stunt. And people loved him, and he yeah. was trying to get good press, you yeah. know, for this yeah. film. After leaving Fort St. John and getting the trucks repaired, the trucks still continued to break down in the mud. Despite trying to build this as a surveying expedition, Badeau decided that the 100 pounds of surveying equipment would need to be abandoned to lighten up the load. 100 pounds? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's not that much. 
now, but it's also, like, maybe, you know, the 19th one. I don't know. what They only brought, like, they didn't bring that many guys to do it. Like, this obviously wasn't actually a surveying expedition. Yeah, but, I mean, in the big grand scheme of things, like, 100 pounds of surveying equipment right. probably I think that go- I think that goes to show that's that... That's not the straw breaking the camel's back. No, it's, it's not. It's probably all the champagne. Well, let me get to the rest <laughs> of the sentence that I wrote. Sorry. So he decided that the 100 pounds of surveying equipment would need to be abandoned to lighten up the load. However, the several kegs, kegs of champagne. I called it. I called and it. Cases of cav- that was some foreshadowing. And cases of caviar, truffles, and the, uh, the trunks that were filled with ball gowns and tuxes were kept. Because you never know when you're just you gonna feel like know when you're gonna doing have a little to... ballroom dancing exactly. out in the wilderness. Exactly, yep. you gotta keep it. Yep. But Doe didn't. Oh, brother. <laughs> but Doe didn't. I mean, this just like it's like. I mean, yeah, this makes sense. He grew up like his first mentor was a pimp, and then yeah. he became rich, and then this is just what <laughs> the, lifestyle the lifestyle he's accustomed to. Yeah. But Doe didn't want to have embarrassing headlines printed about him, so he then fired the radio operator and said that he that they had to abandon the radio because of the weight. He basically didn't want this radio operator uh, wiring like embarrassing, you know, embarrassing details. details in real time. He wanted to be able to control the story. Yeah. So Badeau would release news of the expedition by writing out articles himself and then having them taken to newspapers by couriers. Badeau soon... were probably just cowboys that he sent home. Yeah, because like. he has so many cowboys. Yeah. But, and now the horses are being used to just carry champagne and caviar. Right. That's what I'd do if I was on an expedition like that, though. Just... Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this guy knows how to camp. Yeah. This guy was the original glamper. The, ver- the very first glamper. Yeah. Badeau soon realized that he would have to continue on the expedition without the trucks, because they still were getting stuck, because they were still loaded down with kegs of champagne. Dang it, that surveying equipment wasn't enough. Yeah. (laughs) So, he came up with a plan to get rid of the trucks. On August 11th, two of the trucks were pushed over a (laughs) 120-foot bluff and rolled into the halfway river, with with the drivers jumping out of the trucks at the last minute for good cinematic you know, effect. Uh. All of this was being captured on film by the camera crew to make sure the eventual movie was more interesting. (laughs) Oh no, they're pulling down this hill! Another, and he probably... I could just hear the piano playing. Well, he probably didn't have talkies yet, right? He probably was trying to figure out how to get rid of the trucks without his good friend, Citrone, like, not being upset that he, you know, just abandoned them in the mud. because they were garbage for the yeah. environment they were operating yeah. in. So, another truck was placed on a raft and pushed you know down the river. I don't blame him because the Army's been doing that since the modern vehicle. Just leaving? But they usually just leave no, stuff, No, I'm don't saying, they? like, they're like, oh, well, we, we paid a lot of money for this this vehicle. We can't toss it, you know? Oh, well, or, yeah, or they're like, we paid a lot for this, it's here, but we don't want the enemy to have it, so let's just sink it in the bottom of the ocean. No, not even that. I'm talking about a family, like the Humvees, especially for modern, the the, Brad, the Bradleys, another one, it's just like, well, we, we spent a lot of money developing these pieces of equipment, like, yeah, we're not gonna, like, switch it too early, because... 
A, that would look really bad on us. And, right. And B, that would really look bad for whoever developed these pieces of equipment. Right. <laughs> so not, not the official position, <laughs> but that's just my two cents. Yeah. So those two trucks, I got rid of them. Another truck was placed on a raft and pushed down the halfway river. The group had planted a stick of dynamite <laughs> down the river on a cliff that was supposed to go off when the truck hit the cliff. But the truck missed the cliff, so the dynamite never went off, and the car or the truck just gently floated into a sandbar. And so they're like, eh, because oh. it's staying there. Wah, wah. Yeah. The group then just abandoned the two other remaining trucks at a ranch near the river and continued on the expedition on horseback. So they're still passing ranches. Yes. <laughs> Using the updates that Badeau's couriers had given them, newspapers wrote articles on the expedition. On September 11th, a newspaper printed an article with the headline, Badeau to reach goal in October. And so it seemed that Badeau and his party were moving right on schedule. However, just a few days later, an article read, Horses, tractors, men fail as Badeau trip continues. Then in October, Badeau party's trouble increases. And on October 9th, the Victoria Times had the headline, Badeau party is in danger. So it's like the headlines are like, hey, they're doing great. And then they just get like... Just progressively Saturday. worse. Yeah. Exponentially worse. Yeah. They're doing great. They're having some troubles. They're going to die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Impending doom for Badeau party. Yeah. So that last uh, article discussed that the police were beginning to become very concerned for the safety of the expedition. And that they're and their attempts to cover a snow covered pass because it's you're in Canada yeah. in October. Yeah, it's snowing. Yep. Badeau did not want to turn back, obviously, but the journey was starting to become too difficult. They thirty horses had to be put down because they developed hoof rot or thrush from walking in mud for months, which is basically like a bacterial infection, kind of like what do you call it? like swass? Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking like. Really bad athlete's foot. Yeah. Or like jungle rot. That's what that's what I was thinking of. Swass. Or <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> but if the expedition wanted to continue, they would have to cross the mountain pass on foot. And I think the ladies were like, uh-uh. Not happening. I only brought heels. <laughs> right. On it's the only heels that matched my ball gown. Yeah. On October 17th, the Edmonton Journal had an article titled Badeau Party Turning Back, which detailed the expedition's losses and their need to return back home without completing the expedition. On October 18th, the expedition arrived in Hudson's Hope, and it was reported that the main party arrived and the banquet turned out to be one of the biggest celebrations Hudson Hope had ever seen. Probably because they still had a whole bunch of champagne and caviar, so yeah. they just partied. Yeah. The expedition made their way down Peace River. God, I just I can't imagine uh, being on that expedition, being with that much booze. Just being hammered the entire I'm time? I'm just so hungover all the time. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm, I'm not even 30 yet. <laughs> yeah. Like, the hangovers are brutal. Right. So, the expedition made their way down Peace River until they got to Taylor, then rode in trucks to Poos Coop where they finally boarded a train that took them the rest of the way to Edmonton. When they got back to Edmonton, Badeau told reporters that he had discovered a route that could be used for an international highway to link Canada with Alaska, but that there would still need to be some serious geological surveying done. Yeah, because you didn't do it, because you dumped all your surveying <laughs> equipment. 
In the river. In the river. In the truck. <laughs> down by the river. Yeah. Thanks, Bado. Yeah. So, that's done. Badeau then goes on to purchase a castle in France named Chateau de Candé and move there with Fern. On June 3rd, 1937, Charles and Fern hosted the wedding of Prince Edward and Wallace Warfield at the Chateau. Hmm. So Prince Edward actually was the King of England, Mm -hmm. and then he uh, abdicated the throne because he wanted to marry Wallace, who was a divorced American. Oh, no. And basically, the royal family was like, you can't be king, you can't marry a divorced American. And he was like, well, I'm going to anyways. Is this relevant in current pop culture? Perhaps. How so? Well, actually, they made an exception for... Because Meghan Markle was divorced. I know. And they made an exception for them. And then what? And then they just peaced. Yeah. And good for her. (laughs) So, anyways... Badeau, he hosts their wedding. Yeah. And then he arranges for the couple's honeymoon to the Third Reich. Because doesn't everybody want to go to the Third Reich for their honeymoon? Who doesn't? Where they all got to meet Adolf Hitler. Oh my gosh. Badeau? Badeau. Yep. Meets Adolf Hitler. Hmm. This was met with protests back in the States because we started to realize how big of a bad guy, how much Hitler sucked. And with some calling uh, the Badeau method fascist, too. (laughs) So Badeau was eventually forced to resign as head of his consulting company. When France became occupied by Germans during World War II, Badeau became acquainted with top leaders in both the Vichy regime and the Reich, and used these connections to become appointed as an economic advisor for both governments. On January 13, 1943, Badeau was in Algeria supervising the construction of a German pipeline. The United States Army captured Badeau and his son and extradited them back to the United States to stand trial for treason and trading with the enemy. While in FBI custody in Miami, Badeau overdosed on sleeping pills on February 19, 1944. Rumors began to spread that Badeau had went on his Canadian expedition as a spy mission for the Nazis, and years later, German War Department records were released laying out plans for a highway that would connect the mainland of Canada to the Bering Strait that would allow for Nazi Germany to obtain control of both North America and Russia. What? <laughs> right? It was just all a ploy. Yeah, but he's really bad at it. Yeah. He just likes drinking a little too much. Yeah. He's a little too hoity-toity to be a spy. Yeah. The Alaska... Oh, Adolf, stop it. We'll get to it. Yeah, right? The Alaska Highway was built in 1942. Or, but think about it. Or was it he had that knowledge... And then was like, yeah, I mean, it's possible. I've seen a lot of that land. And that could have been and it, he, too. And then he just kind of used some, like, generic maps and was like, yeah, like, somewhere in here. Because right. he wanted to be useful. Right. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, the Alaska Highway was built in 1942, eight years after Badeau's expedition and two years before his death. And it was built fairly close to the path that Badeau had taken. Oh. 
Once the highway was open for use, an automotive dealer found the two Citroen trucks that had been abandoned. Nice. And when it was taken to be placed in a museum. Where at? Uh, I don't know. Somewhere in Canada. I was thinking that. I want to find the ones that are in the river, but they're probably... They're probably... Not much. Not, yeah. Left of them. In 1995, director George Ungar found footage of the expedition in a basement in Paris and used the footage to create a documentary he named The Champagne Safari. (laughs) So, apparently, well, I was looking for this documentary because I wanted to watch it. Yeah. But you will, it's only on DVD and VHS, and I couldn't, like, you cannot stream it anywhere. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm not paying $25. To buy this on DVD. I think we should. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Oh, oh well, also, because I wanted to watch it tonight, but I, there's no way I could have well, ordered sure. it. Yeah. I still want to watch it, though. Yeah, eventually. Well, I was also like, $25? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Anyways. That's like... It does have like, like an four 80... four months of Netflix. It does have... Yeah. It does have like an 81% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> nice. I did see that. Nice. The documentary won Best Feature Length Documentary at the Genie Awards, which, as far as I can tell, the Genie Awards are like the Canadian Oscars. <laughs> you All should right, look up, Canadian listeners, yeah. it's your time to pipe up. You here. should look up the Genie Awards, uh, like the statue that you get. Do I spell that how I would spell it or how you would spell it? <laughs> like Genie, like how you would spell Genie. J-E-A. No, <laughs> That's how I think you would spell it. <laughs> no, I can spell. I just can't talk. <laughs> yeah, they're they're presented by the Academy of Canadian Cinema yeah. and Television. Do you see what the statue looks like? Uh, kind of like a messed up Oscar statue. Like a mannequin Oscar statue. But like something didn't happen. Like something wrong happened. Yeah, and like he got <laughs> got the hole punched out of his stomach. <laughs> yeah. So, it won that award, and then it also won the, a Certificate of Merit in the oh. Dunk. What? The Genie Awards were given out annually only from 1980 to 2012. So, the Genie Awards are no longer. They are no longer. Bummer. The documentary won a Genie Award, and then it also won a Certificate of Merit in the Documentary History Biography category at the International Film Festival. My sources for this story are Charles Badeau, Deciphering an Enigma by Saul Blumenkrans, Badeau, Canadian Sub-Arctic Expedition by Richard Vitesse, Rumors Surround Legendary Badeau Trek by Noel Gross, Delusions of Grandeur, Constructed Realities and Newspaper Coverage of the Badeau Expedition by Bob Dyke, Colossal Canadian Failures by Randy Richmond and Tom Villamare. And Charles Badeau and the Champagne Expedition by Murray Lundberg. You ready to know who, which president was born on July 4th, our country's birthday as well? Who is that? Calvin Coolidge. Oh, nice. The same president that had a raccoon for a pet. Yes, which was episode 7? Something like that. It was our Thanksgiving episode, the Thanksgiving raccoon. Number 8. Episode 8. Episode 8. The Thanksgiving Raccoon. Yep. Woohoo, if you guessed it. (laughs) Calvin Coolidge. Cool Cal. Cool Cal. Silent Cal. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
If you would like to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com and search for America the Bazaar. If you would like to buy merchandise, go to americathebazaar.com and you can look at get shirts, sweatpants, coffee mugs, stickers, the whole works. You can also go there to look at show notes, and if you would like to search anything that I have written down for our show notes for this podcast, they're all posted on the website, and you can just search in the search bar if you would like to know more about a certain topic or look up our sources. Until next time, stay stay weird, America. America.